I'm Fathery. This is Dave. I'm Rachel. This is Aaron. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 233rd installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new. And tonight we're talking about Star Trek Picard season three, episode four, No Win Scenario, written by Terry Metalis and Sean Tretta and directed by Jonathan Frakes. Big episode. It, it ended the four episode arc that opens the the season i'm not I'm not sure exactly i know i know that it's going to end with like a big two-parter i don't know how the next four i don't know how they divide into i think there might be like a standalone and then like another maybe like a three-parter or something like that but yeah it's uh it's cool i like this uh, i like a uh, kind of uh having these uh season bro- broke down in chunks like that i like it is that how the um is that how the producers like described it they said this is kind of like a definitive wrap to the first arc yeah i haven't heard that but i i don't i haven't seen a ton of stuff i didn't know if it was an official today, thing it it certainly feels like it but i mean i mean yeah that's that's you know i think that's obvious in the uh in the viewing sure. uh but uh then they have talked about you know like the big two-part ending to the whole thing so i, I don't know how the the next four are going to be like i said but maybe we'll get one random bottle episode that's just like <laughs> out of like nowhere left field kind of <laughs> trelane is back <laughs> yeah like, oh what? yeah they, they just deal with it it's like unrelated to everything else I would love it. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's what's going to be the Moriarty episode, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. It's, it's it's probably going to plug in, but I bet it may be a little off kilter like that. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into this, I do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, most importantly, I want to give a huge uh, thank you and shout out to all of our Patreon supporters who make the show possible. Uh, that's going to be Starfleet, Sohel, Cake is Eternal, Gay Clevin, Lundstrom, Crazy Dutchy, Joanne Robertson, John Da, Geek Filter, Earl Grey Trekkie, Quarks Bar, and our anonymous supporters. Thank each and every one of you so much. And for all of y'all and anyone else who might want to become a patron, we're going to be having our monthly Patreon watch party on March 18th, Saturday, uh, next week. If you're watching this live on Friday, it'll be next weekend. And we're watching the episode Way of the Warrior that kicked off season four of DS9. It's that big a double-length episode that brings Worf to the station. There's a lot of a uh, uh, big battle action with the Klingons, uh, a lot of Cardassian stuff. Dukat is in it. Garrick is in it. So it'll be a fun one to revisit, I think. And uh, so I, I encourage people to uh, join the the Patreon if you want to partake in, in those watch parties. You can come in as little as two bucks a month. If you want to be more generous, we have some additional perks as well, but two bucks a month will get you into the monthly watch parties. And uh, with all of that being said, I... Uh, oh, I, I should remind people, I just got back from the Star Trek cruise they did uh, last week, I guess, from day of recording. Starfleet Sohel and I did a recap video on YouTube a couple days ago, so people can find that if you want to see some pictures I took from the cruise and just me talk about that experience. 
uh, we did a, a a debrief. He was like my wharf, and I was the raffy. He was like my handler, and I I had to like go in to like be like debriefed. So, and you got to, to meet uh, Captain Shaw among others, or well, he was there. <laughs> uh, I asked him if he wanted to be there, but he told me no. <laughs> I understand that's his thing. Yeah, it's one of his pastimes. His Sometimes I uh, I'm like, sign my book. He said no. no. Do you want uh, avocados on that? They cost a little extra, and he's like no. He's like, yeah, I love you guys, I really do, but no. Request denied. <laughs> uh, I guess another important piece of news, depending on where you are in the world, we here in the United States are about to enter daylight savings time, where a whole hour is robbed out of my life, and I stay bitter about it for most of the year until I finally get it back. And uh, yeah, it's one less hour to prepare for next week's show, which uh, I'll, I'll be thinking about each and every day from, from now till next Friday. It's not everyone changes their clocks. Not everyone does it at the same time as the United States. So, you know, if, if you're in the UK or Europe, for example, and you watch us live on Fridays, then you might need to check what time 7 p.m. Central will be on Here's Friday. a random fun fact. Arizona also does not do daylight saving. Yes. But they do it. They, they, there's, I love how they do it. They just change time zones. They'll just switch from mountain to Pacific and then from Pacific to mountain. And I wish Texas would do that and just switch from central to mountain and then from mountain to central. But. Except that the the part of the yeah, the problem is Texas cool is in more than one time zone. Just, hand just El Paso. El Paso is the only part that's mountain. So we can just we we could unite the entire state into one time zone, and just shift time zones twice a year. But I feel like I it's the know. government making me get up early. <laughs> just like mm-hmm. well, my my grandmother who grew up in the Depression said they invented daylight savings time so that rich people could play golf longer in the evenings. <laughs> I don't know. It's like you get the same amount of daylight so in a day. Like further, like more, more yeah. room for crops or time for bringing crops in or something yeah. like that. I think you, you either have to turn reason. your lights on earlier in the morning or yeah, turn turn on create more earlier in the daylight. evening I mean, or like... later in the morning. Yeah, it's like you're you're not going to create more daylight, but whatever. Father, that was a very Shaw complaint. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to have like a PTSD meltdown or anything. Thematic. <laughs> You might on Monday after the jam to get up early. But yeah, there's some great Shaw stuff in this episode, some other uh, neat things in this episode. So let's uh, get to it. I'm going to quickly recap it before we tell our opinions, just to uh, refresh it for everyone. I'm going to read the synopsis and then kind of expand on that with some spoilers, as per usual here on Text Trek. The synopsis reads... With time running out, Picard, Riker, and crew must confront the sins of their past and heal fresh wounds, while the Titan, dead in the water drifts helplessly towards certain destruction within a mysterious space anomaly. And uh, yeah, it turns out they're inside of uh, some pregnant space beast that births a bunch of little baby space squids. They're not jellyfish, they're squids this time. With like kind of humanoid eyes. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, have, they have the cute little baby eyes, I guess, to make them, I, I don't know, seem cuddly. And If this was any other franchise, I'd be like, we are gonna, we're probably going to get stuffed animals of that. And yet... <laughs> Somebody's going to make them. You know, just recently, the Dungeons and Dragons franchise finally started making plush animals of its monsters, its weird monsters. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, Star Trek, you, and they're doing well. Star Trek taking yeah. care from, from them in this oh. case. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I had, yep. I had no idea that was a that was they're trying to like I guess move in on like that uh, that Pokemon territory like yeah. look at all of our I mean, creatures. Makes, it also makes sense with the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would want one of those though. I don't know if I would buy a uh, a, a space squid toy if Star Trek did that. Imagine it as an option, you know. Also a plush Targ, also a plush yeah. um uh, uh, what's Murph? 
you know, th- th- there'll be options. Options. A slime worm. He's a slime worm. Yeah. Slime, right. yeah. Slime I worm. do have a cute stuffed Gorn because the original series is the only thing they ever make merchandise out of. <laughs> well, that's because uh, <laughs> baby boomers buy the most merchandise and they're, they tend to be more fans of TOS, but that's changing. That's changed in, mm-hmm. uh, in recent years. And so I, th- I think we've actually moved in like, I think TNG is the big merchandise thing now. I think that's already yeah. happened. And, It'll probably be a, a big TNG fest for the next few years, but especially with the season of Picard. But but yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Titan escapes the nebula. Everyone's happy. We have some father son bonding. We have uh, uh, the escape from from the bad guy Vadik, who's been chasing them. So uh, uh, our heroes finally get like a big victory. Yeah, they got to bloody mm-hmm. Vadik's nose. Yeah, after kind of being you know caught caught with their britches down, as Kirk said mm-hmm. in Rathacon. That so. was a very satisfying moment. <laughs> Well, uh, Aaron, since you weren't here last week, how about you give the first opening statement and just kind of explain your your broad impressions and, and feelings on on this episode before we get into the, the nitty gritty details? I really enjoyed this because it felt like it was like a distilled Star Trek episode. It's like kind of like all of Star Trek, everything that you is part of it. And the, the new Star Trek, the old Star Trek, it's just it was it was really well done. Um, lots of, you know character moments which we don't get a lot of sometimes in in star trek where it's more plot driven but it felt like we had plot and character at the same time and you know i'm doing my little reference to the animated series there was an episode called one of our planets is missing Mm -hmm. which had a a lot of similarities they were stuck inside of a cloud they used the cloud power to get out of it and and so it was like not exactly the same but it had some elements of that and i always love a good you know i'm pretending to be somebody else and then they give them the the test to find out if they really are and then they shoot them i don't know i know it was like really obvious when she walked in i'm like oh, okay she's the changeling but it was still satisfying i think i think we were supposed to know right away right we literally just so, yeah. seen the shot yeah, yeah. of her on the bridge yeah, yeah i yeah, think yeah. those those scenes can still be tense because you don't know how it's going to play out you know right. Yeah. Right. there could still be a struggle shaw could have gotten shot he could that could have been his heroic death who knew yeah, uh, yeah. Especially nowadays, like if this was the 90s, no, it obviously would have been fine. But today, you never know yeah. how it's going to turn out. Exactly. I, I love Joel's comment. Uh, Dead name seven, get the phaser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we should definitely talk about that when we uh, when we zero yeah. in on that scene. <laughs> For me, I, I had a really good time with this episode. The second and third and fourth time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I think I was just like a little too tired that I was... I was like, oh, let's like hurry up, get out of this nebula, just like hurry, like, ride the shockwave. Come on, let's go. But uh, but no, it, the the beauty of it to me was the the thematics. It was kind of kind of two things that tie into each other very well. But the the idea of of you know like birth of like new life of offspring of the next generation, if you will, is uh, so close to the the core of Star Trek and that, that optimism for the future, that hope for the future, that, that is how we experience that in, in life as, as part of the human experience is with, you know, the, uh, the, the, the next generation, the, 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 our, our children, our offspring, our, our students our you know, the, the younger people that, that we, we mentor and then they carry on without us. So with discovering his son, with th- these space creatures, uh, you know, being born, all of that stuff tying in together and, also, uh, the notion that, you know, they, they do a lot of stories about this in Star Trek, but uh, crew and family and working together and, uh, you know, united, we're we're more than these. Uh, what is it? What's the expression? Uh, the, the whole is wor- worth more than the sum of the parts. Or oh, whatever. I don't know. But yeah. 
I, you know what I mean? Like a I bunch of things mean, together I... is better than them separate. It's, so. Yeah, it's greater than uh, the sum but, of the parts, something like that. Yeah, it was a, kind of a lesson that Riker and Picard and and I guess they all kind of had to relearn as they're reuniting that next generation crew and coming back together. Uh, but uh, I I liked seeing that and I liked uh, Riker's arc. I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. Uh, you know, they, they're they're really deal. That's a big thing. You know, the death of a child and and they're not brushing mm-hmm. over that. They're they're finding ways to incorporate that season one thing into the season three story so i appreciate that as well and yeah i'm, I'm happy to be out of the nebula we you know i we, we had a good time doing the submarine movie stuff the you know wrath of Khan, the uh the balance of terror the uh memento mori the strange new worlds one but uh but yeah i don't i don't need i don't need half the season to, to, to be spent there so happy to see that they're mo- moving on to the next thing i'm very curious as what that's going to be I, I didn't get my raffi and war fix this week so i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them uh next week uh, Dave, what about you? Uh, you know, it's funny. You you mentioned the nebula thing, and I was last week. I was like, when are they going to get out of this nebula? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, but it didn't bother me this week. I, I think last week it was because they actually kind of emphasized repetitive failures when Riker was trying to get him out, and this week it felt like well that you know, they were working towards a solution. But I was also just more engrossed in what was happening on this ship. Um, it was a, this episode was a pretty big win for me. I thought it was really suspenseful and harrowing. Uh, but you know, among the suspense, there was a lot of character interaction. Uh, and, and like you, I felt like there was a strong uh, thematic that you know that they had. You know, the first all, all these first arc of four episodes has has started out pretty dark and kind of moved to an energetic, positive place where the characters were kind of gaining some agency in this one. Um, I. I uh, the episode in this particular one, it began with Riker apologizing to Picard and saying, hey, you know, you were right. We should have attacked. And um, but then the thing happened where they have a little bit of downtime. <laughs> I, I said I didn't like that. I was like, that's not Trek philosophy. Um, what is they it? had the, they had their downtime and they turned the problem over and they they kind of got to what Picard was telling those, you know, the enthusiastic, you know, uh, uh, students and ensigns or whatever, uh, the cadets. Um, which is that, you know, if you've got your crew with you, you can, you know, no problems insurmountable. And so building to that and having Picard, Riker and Beverly all working in tandem at the end, I really felt that classic TNG energy, even though the rest of the crew's not there yet. I'm sure at some point that they've got to be heading for that. Can we please have Jordy on the show, please? Uh, there's a LaForge on the show. Let's <laughs> give give him time. But yeah, I need to. I also just I want to see Jordy with his daughter. I want to see them yeah. interact. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I've lots of other stuff I liked. Most of my complaints were pretty minor. Uh, the only kind of notable one is so far Vadik's uh, boss is kind of coming across as something of a generic villain. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, that will, will as we learn more about motivation yeah. and stuff. That yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine like having any kind of strong opinion on just like, you know, two lines of mysterious dialogue. So, well, mm-hmm. I, it's it's the way they're presenting your but you know, like Hans Gruber walks onto the scene and in five minutes you're enthralled. Oh, but are you talking about Vatic? Or I thought you were talking about like her boss, her boss, uh, which admittedly hasn't had much screen time right, right. now. It's yeah. just a presence looming. Yeah, um, I, feel, I, I think that's like, you know, when the, when Darth Vader calls the Emperor in, in The yeah. Empire Strikes right, Back, right. and it's like, oh, here's like some some new character I don't know, but like Vader is like scared of this guy and like bowing mm-hmm. down to him. So I, right. I think that's all that we got It's here. interesting, and without him, he do, she doesn't seem to have that same over-the-top villain mm-hmm. sort of thing going, which was actually kind of refreshing. Like, oh, okay. He, yeah. He's, he he's can stole be her quiet moments. He yeah. stole her over the top. Yeah, no, like, she was like terrified. Yeah. Was, uh... Or maybe she's from that. I mean, like maybe that, I mean, that comes from him maybe. 
maybe she isn't really that kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Whatever, this, like if it's a Great Link thing or like, I don't know how that would actually work. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, uh, Joel in the comment says Vedic's boss is credited as the face in the credits. Yeah, yeah that I, seems uh, like a crime boss. I, I looked. <laughs> yeah. I looked for that because I I was wondering who it was at first. I was like, the voice kind of sounds like Clancy Brown, and then I was like, no, it's not Clancy Brown. It's someone else. It, was, it sounds it's, familiar. It's just a guy who does like a bunch of like voiceover work. It's not like a known Skeletor. Actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that makes me think it's probably like they're hiding who it is, and yeah, hide, like yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Rachel, if you want to go ahead and pick up, that was, like I said, I was overall, this was a strong episode for me. I really loved this episode. It really gave the actors, like, the time to, like, act, like, and, and not just <laughs> doing, like, action y bits, but, like, not uh, just there react. Was, yeah, there's no, there's, like, no weak link and with a lot of, like, character moments. Agreed. Like, a lot of these it, hit home. They, they, they all hit yeah. home. And I, it just made me think of Jonathan Franks a couple of years ago saying that he was uh, worried about coming back to Riker because he didn't mm-hmm. think he was like a good actor anymore or something. And I was like, what are you talking about here? I was like, I'm literally crying they about have, like it's... stuff you're doing right now. These last few episodes have been such a showpiece for Franks. Yeah, I yeah. like I it's one of those things where I was like, I hope like obviously his directing career is great and he's great at that. But I was like, I hope he doesn't like just abandon acting completely once he's done playing. Oh, Riker. I think like, he might because I see him. I th- I think when he plays the Riker death scene in a few episodes, it's going to be such like a it's going to be such a powerful moment. No, he's like, um, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire. You know, that's that, that's it. That that was my. Don't apex. make me cry more. By the way, we're going to we're going to play your death. <laughs> they all die like at the end of Coda. Everyone's just gone. <laughs> that was the the novel that ended the novel. Yes. Yeah. The novel that ended. Well, I do not know what this is. Oh, there, there's a Star Trek book called Coda that basically like erased that continuity since it is no longer the prime timeline. Uh, it doesn't match the current uh, shows. I, I still yeah. don't know why they couldn't just had like a lit verse and then like because com- the comics don't always match either. So yeah. whatever. Be fair, the books don't match up with each other. Yeah. True. That's true. <laughs> uh, but I yeah I really love this episode and it's like one of those things where it's like someone's like what's your favorite part I was like I don't know like they're all so good. And I was like, I like I could see this being um, I don't tend to go and rewatch, like throw on like a random episode of new of like the newer Trek shows super often because for the most part, they're serialized. And I was like, I could see me just randomly throwing this one on uh, and not being like, oh, my God, like and not like if I go to watch Discovery, I end up like watching a season. Is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> this episode feels like it's got a lot to chew on and it does mm-hmm. have like a sort of pretty directed problem to deal with. Yeah, it also has a. Uh two things in it that i i didn't one of them is something that i'd been asking for in picard ever since they announced the show and i, I teased that on twitter i said this terry metallis gave me something in this episode that i've been wanting in star trek picard ever since in 2018 when patrick stewart walked out on the stage in vegas and said john luke picard is back it's like okay there's one thing i want to happen in this new show it happened in this episode and then another thing, like, I didn't know that I needed in Star Trek, but I'm happy that, that I have it now. And I'm curious how it will, how it will register in, like, my, like, great moments of Star Trek in the future. You know, when, I, when I'm rewatching the show, you know, decades from now, because I'm always I'm rewatching Star Trek. curious so. what those moments are. Yeah, well. Uh, I, mean, I have some top moments from this episode that I. I'm curious about those. Uh, so let's get into our, our episode breakdown. It's uh, it's funny, Dave, you were talking about like the, uh, yeah, Picard talking to those, uh, they're not cadets, they're uh, they're young officers. They're like ensigns, I guess, because they're, mm-hmm. they're not in the cadet uniforms. So I guess they're like the equivalent of like uh, the lower decks characters. Wouldn't it be cool if they could have had yeah. like, I don't know, like Rutherford and Tindy cameo here or something? But uh, uh, That would be cute. But, like, I also don't know how they would do like, 
make it clear that that's what we're doing. No, yeah, it, it would uh, it would be weird and uh, a little. What if maybe... they're just animated in the corner? No, <laughs> they, they're not going to do that. Who framed Roger Rabbit stuff with the lower decks characters? That, but that transition when you know Picard, he is being like you know optimistic and everything. And we know this is kind of like in his depressed years when he's the hermit of Labar and just happened to have, you know, been out at, at Guinan's bar. And these are probably like rare, like joyous moments for him. But, you know, he's he's celebrating. Uh, yeah, there, there will be a time when you will need to remember that no matter how bleak or unwinnable a situation, as long as you and your crew remain steadfast in your dedication, one to another, you are never, ever without hope. And he's so like uh you know inspiring and 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 cheerful and just smash cut from that to like miserable depressed Picard uh, like uh, you uh, get off the bridge you just killed us all it's just like falling you know, to their death. Be, if you were one of the other officers on that bridge, that probably was the least inspiring Riker moment ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's talking about like morale, like that. Yeah, that just ruins everyone's morale instantly. But yeah, the the yeah. ship is uh losing power. They're uh they're they're, they're I like the. Thing they came up with with like the shields, like their their shields are, are getting hit by those bioelectric waves, so they have to try to put all of their power into their shields for whenever those waves come, just to to stay mm-hmm. alive as they're falling, and eventually they'll still be crushed in the in the gravity well. So, but uh, yeah, Riker tells Picard to you know go spend your final moments with your son, <laughs> and uh, we get the the father son uh, bonding in in the holodeck, uh, which conveniently uses a, a, a an existing set that they built for uh, season two. So. <laughs> You know, I mean, that scene where, where Riker says, my class. I recommend you use the next few hours to go uh, talk to your, get to know your son and put your affairs in order. There's a gravity to him that I, I thought that was some really amazing work from Frakes. It was mm-hmm. a very intense sequence. Like, I like it. I fully believed that, like, Riker believes they're about to die. Right. And, and he talks about, like, that hopelessness that he has. And I, and I misspoke a few weeks ago when I said, like, oh, it's so fun watching Jonathan Frakes playing Riker. It's like Riker is, like, never, has never changed. He's been consistent over the years. And then, but this episode, it was like, oh no, there was like a big change in him, and yeah, of course it would come from you know losing a child. He- the thing is, like, I think he's like ha- has been putting an act on to try and like convince everyone he hasn't changed. Perhaps. He seems like a person who yeah. has a uh, that very kind of outgoing front so naturally mm-hmm. as Riker that yes, he could be hiding pain underneath that quite easily. And then, the, like, as they say, like the one person he can't hide from, like hide it from, is Deanna for like multiple reasons. One, it's his wife; she's yeah. been for a very long time. And two, she can sense his emotions. Mm. I was glad to see her uh, in the, get some time in this episode, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, get to see some s- sort of a more serious conversation stuff. But yeah, Father H. So she uh, or uh, Picard goes to get his affairs in order. <laughs> The the thing in that scene when, when Riker is, like, telling Picard, like, yeah, like, you know, go spend this time with your son. He's like, that's what I wish I could be doing. I, I think we're all about to die. I wish I could be with, with my son. Mm-hmm. The We get the, I guess, explanation of, of why Troy and Kestra are, why, like, why there was, like, tension in the Riker family. And was, I guess, like, the, mm-hmm. they were just, he, he was so miserable and, like, just depressed, I guess. And, yeah, like, they were like, yeah, it kind of sucks being around you, Dad. So, you know, he Did went he off to the adventure. Did he sort of indicate... He, uh, a, a lack of belief in like an afterlife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's basically like you know he's accepted his son is gone forever. He'll never see him again. And that that hopelessness was so much, and that's what he ran away from. And he you know was mm-hmm. doing the Starfleet thing again. And now he finds himself back to uh, feeling hopeless on, on here on the Titan. Uh, but the Jack stuff was not something that I particularly. I mean, I never wanted there to be like a Picard Crusher kid to begin with. Everyone knows that I. I was like, please don't do that. Please don't give me David Marcus, the next generation. But, but now that we're here. 
now that we're here, I love their interaction at the bar because it was deeply personal to me and very reflective of my own relationship with my dad, who I... I mean, like I, I knew him growing up. We lived in the same small town. I like saw him all the time, but we were never, we we're never particularly close when I was a kid. And then it was only like as an adult that I kind of, you know, we, when we were able to like, okay, we're both like grown dudes that can be friends that we like, we really, I, I feel like we really bonded. And it was like, like these types of conversations, you know, over drinks in a bar where yeah, I was like, you know, oh, let me tell you like this, uh, you know, this one story about like these, you know, these crazy girls I was hanging out with and just like stuff like that. And, and just getting, getting to know like, oh man, like this, here's a guy who had like, you know, an entire life and, you know, we have, we have a lot in common. We have a lot that's different, but you know, it's fun to just kind of, uh, I just felt like there was a point in my life where it felt like we were finally like getting to know each other. And so I, I, I uh, a, a big reason why I like Deep Space Nine is my favorite show is I just I love watching uh, Ben and Jake. I love the Cisco family. That's kind of like the relationship I kind of grew up envious of when I was watching that as a kid. I used to say like, oh, I guess like I turned out to have kind of a you know Captain Kirk David Marcus relationship with my dad, but uh, but no, I think this is a this is more closer the uh, the Picard and Jack, Jack stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, they. As much as I said I didn't want this, I have to admit that, uh, okay, I actually really like it now. Yeah, I think it's been, I didn't want the cliche of it, but it's being done so well that I'm like, okay, it's being done so well, I don't mind that we're doing the cliche. You know what I liked about Crush Jack Crusher in that scene is how he kind of was, he wasn't kind of like into bonding with Picard, but he wasn't being malicious. You could tell he's a pretty decent person overall yeah. because he would make a point yeah. to say, hey, I'm not saying this to kind of hurt you or anything. He's like, he's like, but I don't need to be like a part of something. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of clear he's probably lying to himself or hasn't yeah. quite accepted that. But, but he's like nuts. He's like, I'm not just trying to hurt you here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just who I've, who I, who I've been and who I am. And I, I can be an outsider and I'm okay. Um, and it seemed like he was genuinely touched uh, like in some way when Ricard says, I think I need it. And he was like, okay, yeah. I can, like I can do that for you. That was like, so good. That no, was that so was, good. That was a great moment. And uh, some, someone close to me in, in my life just told me uh, last night, actually, that she said, uh, being vulnerable is not uh, weakness. That's that. That's strength. It takes a lot of strength to to show your vulnerability, and that's basically what you know what Picard was doing. Almost kind of like setting an example to his son. And, I, and so that, yeah. that was a that was a beautiful. And, and as closed off as we know Picard often is, right, we know right. that that is a particularly mm -hmm. difficult thing for him. And right, I'm for the sure, guy who's always like, like private and wants Jack to like knows that a little bit because he's heard stories about Picard, and I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, your dad. I can't imagine Beverly trying to tell him, yes, John Luke Picard was the most... Uh, the warmest. Warmest? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude. It seems interesting, though, like after the second season, you know, if what happened, he seems to be more open now about yeah. things like that. Just because he, totally he healed some internal yes, wounds a little for bit. For sure. Yeah. He got out a bit some un from under his own father's shadow. and mm -hmm. Yeah. So now I think he's he can be more available for Jack. Yeah, and I kind of want to... Um, I guess go off of what father was saying is this feels like an actual like I, I like I was close to my parents when I was growing up but like I had like you know a very parental relationship with them as you know is appropriate but this feels does feel like what it's actually like when you like get to know your parents when you're both adults all of a sudden mm -hmm. and like you're like oh like you're this full person that like has all this has like all the stories and like you're not perfect and neither am I and we can like have a drink together and just chill and right they're not just yeah. their parental role yeah. that they had been to you previously like i 
Uh, I don't think I find it a little unrealistic that like uh, the trope of like when um, an adult finds out they have a full grown child, they like start acting super parental protective all of a sudden. Like the like I I recently watched all the Indiana Jones movies, but when Shia LaBeouf showed up, he's like, "Why'd you make him kick him out of school?" And I'm like, "You've known this guy for like." 10 minutes like that's what your biggest concern is <laughs> uh thank you to uh lily mac for the five dollar super chat in the live audience that is uh most appreciated right on love the support speaking of uh beverly crusher though y'all y'all mentioned beverly a second ago another cool moment is when picard takes riker's advice he goes down to sickbay to talk to jack and he tells beverly you know like i know time is precious right now but like do you mind and the way that like she kind of just like you know the facial expression she makes just like very like not only like approvingly, but like she's happy to see that. Like, okay, we mm-hmm. might all die, but at yeah. least at least they're going to have this moment together. Yeah, uh, that was that was such a sweet moment, and that 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 was yeah. cool to see. Uh, I think. Um, um, why can't I suddenly say the name of the actress? Uh, Gates. I think mm-hmm. Gates has always been good at conveying uh, sort of maternal love and different mm-hmm. stripes of it. Yeah. And well, I think that's that the only nice... thing they ever gave her to do on the. Yeah. On the show, <laughs> sure. So. Sure. <laughs> Here, then, you know, and we'll talk about it more as it comes up, but I was so happy that in this episode she got to be the one who was, like, really kind of sleuthing, doing medical mm-hmm. sleuthing stuff and figuring out one of the big issues. So she had more to do than that, but there's just no doubt she's she's very good at that, and she can find nuanced maternal qualities like she did in that scene where she's got to say, yes, I'm giving up what could be some of the last moments with my son, but I'm doing it because I feel that this is something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And in the live audience, Lily Mack is saying Ed Spilliers is great and can go toe-to-toe with Stuart. Terry Metalis said casting the role was tricky because they tried looking for a 23-year-old, but no one could hold their own with him, hence Ed. Yeah, and even 23 great is point. too old. Because, you know, Star Trek <laughs> Nemesis took place in 2079. We're in before April of 2401, because we know, like, the, Pi- the Pioneer Day is celebrating, you know, the launch of of Archer's ship. If I remember correctly, that was April of 2151. So I know that people who don't care about the years hate hearing all this. All was it April? Numbers listed out. But yeah, I think Isn't it was that April. that a little too close to first contact day? Perhaps, I, I might be misremembering if someone wants to fact check when uh, when the launch of the NX-01 was. But let's just assume that like Star Trek Nemesis takes place on New Year's Day in 20... Yeah, April of 202151. You're right. 23-79. I just like assume it's like as Star Trek Nemesis takes place as early in seventy nine as possible, and it all happens in one day, which it doesn't. Let's just say it does, and then like that night after that is when <laughs> is when John Luke and Beverly conceive Jack, and he's born like you know sometime. Let's say he's like born. I don't know, like a couple months premature. Let's say he's born like let's say Fourth of July in seventy nine. It was like six months, and he's out. So that's the oldest he could possibly be, and that would make him. What he would be uh twenty he would be like twenty one and a half here, so and what is he, he supposed to be? Well, they don't say Picard's like how old are you twenty three or twenty four? But no, he's he's younger than twenty one. He's he's probably nineteen or twenty. So when we see that flashback of him in the bar, he's like fourteen or fifteen. And I was thinking like, how did a kid get into the the bars? Like, oh, th- this guy has a fake ID when he's fifteen. So <laughs> yeah, I I recognize what you're saying, but I'd like to point out the existence of Alexander. Oh, no, but Klingons <laughs> age faster. <laughs> he had that alien, he had that convenient alien blood that makes kids grow faster. Father, I'm one of those people in the audience who's like, what is he even talking about? <laughs> I, I, do not, I do not know the dates of any of these. <laughs> yeah, if you don't care, but, then you don't care. But, but I if, was, 
I respect it. I respect it. If you do care, it's annoying when they get it wrong. I, I do feel like they could just throw in a line that he got stuck time traveling for a year or two. And he, that's why he's a little older because it's Star Trek. And I feel like people would just be like, yeah, that I mean, makes sure. sense. I mean, I just assume he's a uh, he's a 19 year old that looks like, uh, you know, he's he's a bit older. But they've lived that a, happens, we, like... we know they've lived a little bit of a hard, hard traveling life. Yeah. I mean, if, if you've watched enough television, you should be used to uh, like people in their 30s playing people in their their teens or early 20s yeah. so it's not it's not that uncommon uh so yeah i shared at some point but someone said like if you're complaining about his age i'm gonna force you to watch riverdale <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was terry metallis who said that wasn't it or some i, don't, I thought I... someone said it oh that's funny someone said it i i like that he doesn't like wine he's a he's a whiskey man mm-hmm. uh, is jameson picard's, picard's uh own vintage has been shut down twice in like the last week for him uh, yeah. I have a bottle of Jameson like I can't quite reach it there's like a shelf but, but like five feet away from it. maybe I should uh, I should open it up uh, next week's show because we'll be streaming on St. Paddy's Day in a week oh, wow. uh, but uh, yeah so I have some Irish whiskey I, I think it's a little unusual for a guy who grew up in London to uh, drink whiskey with ice in it but you know whatever it's uh, I if O'Brien can be an Irishman who drinks scotch then you know apparently by the future people just you know drink their whiskey however they don't they don't follow their one of their the cultural horrible things that happened during world war three yeah <laughs> i do not know enough about whiskey why is it weird for like an english person to want their drink on the rocks because they they don't do that that's like frowned upon oh over there. it dilutes the whiskey but he, even though he like what he was schooled there picked up an accent there that's maybe not uh he was the, the way he was he was probably drinking before he was in uh he learned to drink whiskey <laughs> somewhere else yeah Probably with his underage ID at, uh, at 10 forward. <laughs> I would imagine that probably he was drinking cheap whiskey and he wanted it watered down because it didn't taste very good. But so the, mm. the same scene that gave me this thing, I never knew that I needed, but just this, uh, this, this moment that I felt like deeply uh, personal and reflective to me. But it also gave me the thing that I had always wanted in this show that I know a lot of people probably have a problem with, but it's like, oh, they're going to do a streaming show and like, oh, okay, Discovery just said, uh, this is so fucking cool. It's like, I want to hear John Luke Picard drop an F-bomb and I want them to prove that it can be done in a way that's like not played for jokes. It's like a serious dramatic moment that just seems organic and natural. And I think that'd be like a really cool thing to do that you could get away with in a modern streaming show. And they did it. And it was like, not that big of a deal, or at least to me. It's just like, oh yeah, that was, yeah. It was it just oh, felt like two dudes. Only two... Seen, like one person complain about it. So yeah, it's like two genuine dudes just talking to yeah. each other. It's... You know, Father, uh, you you'd mentioned that before, but I didn't even. I think because it worked, it was worked its way in so organically. I was like, yeah, I recognize that this happened because this is a streaming show. But um, but yeah, like it it felt completely natural. So it it didn't even occur to me that, that anybody would be a, could be offended. I honestly it's so yeah. funny to me that when people say like oh it's it's like so it sounds so forced when they have people cuss it sounds way more forced to me when they like have people go oh frick or yeah. something <laughs> like when, when when Kirk tells Kang to the devil with you yeah it's like yeah. no one says yeah. to the devil with you in real and I I know that some people they do like, it they, Kirk's time some people just don't want they, they don't want to hear the the f word on TV. But I mean, it's it should be like normalized and just part of our vocabulary. It's not that big of a deal. It's just like there were people up in arms in 1967 when Kirk said, "Let's get the hell out of here." The end of City on the Edge of Forever. And yeah, let's I, get I think the that's... fuck out of here. <laughs> I want I want that in the new version. I was listening to a YouTube video earlier today, and and the person was talking about this episode of Star Trek Picard, and he said, uh, I just don't like hearing a character like Picard say an, an F-bomb. And like, when I heard that, my instinct gut reaction, I literally said out loud, fuck you. Like, <laughs> it just came out. So. Oh, I once was watching a, I once was watching a video my friend and I found. It was like 50s etiquette, and they were like, 
Lazy shouldn't cuss, and I actually went, fuck that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess I feel in some ways a little sorry for people who are doing that, because if I think about it, that means they almost certainly grew up in a household that was really restrictive of them, and they, mm-hmm. that, they, they picked up that burden, that weird, unnecessary prejudice, and so there they are. And also, uh, I'm excited about James Gunn uh, is about to make a bunch of uh, DC characters say the F word a lot. So that'll be a, <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> um, uh, Shaw kind of crashes the party, though, when Shaw comes in and has his uh, his his moment, his big thing, uh, which is not entirely, uh, you know, him. He does admit that, uh, uh, hey, your mom is really liberal with the with the painkiller. So he's like, yeah, like blazing freaking impression of Shaw. Blazing Bev has got uh, <laughs> Liam Shaw high AF right now. You know, he did the a- scene, but. Uh, aside from the rest of the acting, he did a pretty good job of looking uh, like he was high on painkillers, kind mm-hmm. of looking around a little bit. He looked a little wild-eyed and sleepy simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe they shot it like two in the morning or something. <laughs> I, I think that that's, uh, that's funny that, that he is like so messed up. I th- she probably did that on purpose. Like, like I don't really like this dude, and my friend Will Riker is probably a, a better captain for me and my son right now, so I'm gonna make sure this guy has to stay off-duty a while. <laughs> I trust Riker more than him. <laughs> That's Blazing Bev for you. And and he, he makes the reveal of something that uh, it seems like uh, most of y'all uh, had suspected, or many, mm-hmm. many people had suspected, but I, I, I'm guessing that uh, most people were also very satisfied with it because it was so well done. Uh, as he yeah. kind of uh, reveals that he was infected at Wolf 359 and had this very harrowing escape. Which I initially didn't like, because I'm like, okay, that means he's got to be like in his 60s if he was serving on a ship at Wolf 359. I didn't think he was that old. But, you know, they have good uh, good health care and stuff. Like, people age gracefully in, in the, mm-hmm. the 25th century, but uh, not, not a huge deal. But I think it might have been more interesting if he was a kid on a Starfleet ship. That w- mm-hmm. that encountered the Borg. I mean, Jake was there, wasn't he? Right, Jake was. Or that's a good yeah. point. So Jake was there on the uh, Saratoga. So yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, he could have been there as like a little kid. Although I with the way he was talking, I was imagining him very young, like fresh out of the academy. Yeah, he might have even been a yeah. cadet. Yeah. Yeah, but as, as we learned, he was saved he was a by someone. Officer, so. Yeah, we was saved by someone who just said, "You, you, 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 you are going on the ship, and that's it. Just go." Yeah, there were, there were 50 survivors, only 10 could fit on the escape pod. It honestly also made sense that that's probably, if he was, like, very young. Like, I imagine the fact, like, Wesley almost entered when he was, like, underage. The Academy, that if he was very young, that's why he was saved. It's just yeah, like, that, that, we need to get this kid out of they here. They felt sorry for him. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I, I, could, I could see that for sure. And the, the line from him that they were all my Jack Crushers. It's mm-hmm. like, oof. Yeah, it's like... What do you what do you tell a guy who says that? He I thought he kind of got like a little over the top when he's like uh, like yelling, uh, you know, your old man was on that cube setting the world on fire. But that ties into the first episode. Where it had like the song. I don't want to set the world on fire or however mm-hmm. it goes. Pretty sure that's yeah. not the melody, but I know I, those I, are the lyrics. <laughs> I think if I didn't know this character is supposed to be high on payment. I'd be like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, okay. That makes that makes his decisions, uh, Todd Stashwitz's yeah. decisions yeah. make more sense like, when you keep that in mind. He's having like a PT, like PTSD attack sure. while high on page. Yeah, when he's yeah. like on like- I'll allow it. Like, I, I do kind of agree with you, Father. It felt like the writing got a little overly melodramatic there. But, you know, yeah, within reason for a guy who's both loopy and has probably been putting away this pain for a couple decades. I also, I feel like it's, we know like very intimately like everything that happens at Wolf 359. I don't know like 
I feel like you need to mention like that's the episode where he's Lakutus aboard because I feel like casual Star Trek fan will right, not yeah. know the words mm-hmm. like that's true. That's true. Uh, Wolf three five nine until they're like, oh right, that time when Picard was a Borg. Cool, I know what we're talking yeah. about now. Yeah, yeah, they, they they explain it all pretty well. I really like how mm-hmm. they that is like among the big touchstones in Star Trek lore. Uh, you know, so with so much re- weight and reverberations that you know Picard would later deal with it in the episode Family uh, and in uh, First Contact, Cisco throughout Deep Space Nine, and now Shaw. Like in other words. It, it, you know, this episode that was made something like 30 plus years ago, uh, you know, they did not go and forget, you know, it's big bad moment was as bad as it seemed at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because uh, I was defending that Shaw, because Cisco also has the same feelings that Shaw does about Picard. And I was like, it's clear that probably for Picard's privacy, they did not like reveal like exactly how it happened. Well, I think even if you know how it happens, I mean, it'd still be hard to em- emotional. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like if you know if if I had I don't know a brain tumor that made me like go crazy, and I went and like mm-hmm. murdered someone's entire family, and it's like, oh, they took the tumor out. I'm back to normal. Sorry, that wasn't my fault. I didn't mean to do that. They probably yeah. still would be uncomfortable, you know, being in a room with me. So uh, I, I I get it. And Picard Picard even accepts it when Picard you know oh, walks man. out of there. Yeah, I thought you... that was so good. That was su- such good acting, understated acting on Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart's Remind part. Remind me of like the uh, Patrick Stewart scenes and. The Deep Space Nine pilot, um, Emissary, Mm -hmm. where Uh, like Cisco has a similar reaction and he just like, he doesn't say like, doesn't try to explain anything. It's just like, yep, you're like, you're allowed to feel like that. At Wolf 359. Because I was explaining, so I was like, yeah, we watched the episode and and, like watched Family. We understand that Picard was the victim in this situation. It's hard when you watch like someone with his face murders people. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, it's a hard thing to kind of frame in like a real life circumstance but because you know we don't Mm -hmm. we don't actually get assimilated by the borg in real life but i also before we move on from the like 10 forward the uh holodeck thing i also like that like picard's totally cool with him being named jack yeah no i always thought that was that made sense because yeah that's Mm -hmm. probably what picard would want to name his kid and i like that a lot more than the uh, the novels where they gave Picard and Beverly and there's name him he's Renee Picard also so it's like another oh. Renee Pic- it's like you're not gonna replace your nephew like <laughs> just give him like the same name like that's that's kind yeah. of like weird expectations to put on that kid like I had a nephew I really liked and I want you to replace him so well uh, Kestra is named after her dead aunt basically yeah <laughs> I guess I I mean that is common I'm thinking of like real people I mean it's not uncommon I I might be that in like Jewish tradition, like you only name people after like people who have passed on. So I'm like, yeah, that's not weird. Yeah. Before well, we move on, one thing I've noticed that like, n- given the what we know about what's happened, I actually think Shaw has been pretty reserved in how he's reacted to them. Uh, it seems like he maybe held some stuff back where you know mm-hmm. uh, he could have he could have said something. Yeah, and that's true. I, th- until I he do was think drugged it was out. The, like, yeah. <laughs> Drugged out, about to die. And also, I really yeah. like the explanation for the holodeck still being on because it one, it made made sense and like made sense in universe. Like, yeah, they're like, yeah, we use the holodeck uh, to like when we know we're about to die to like forget <laughs> about that. Or you could do simulations and stuff like that for real, like Jordy did. I like, would rather have necessary. the option to use that power to my life saving solution than like use it as escapism. But it's something that they established in Voyager because the Voyager writers were like, we want our ship to be, you know, stranded yeah. without resources, but we also want to write holodeck episodes. So, mm-hmm. oh, sure. it's a different power grid. And yeah, they, they maybe they, it doesn't take a lot of power somehow. <laughs> they think it really, you know, you know very. I, you know what another explanation is? I don't know. Holodeck characters get. 
kept somehow stealing power, so we gave it to its own grid. <laughs> well, it's like a- AC power and DC power, and it's not compatible with other systems. Yeah. That's just what I assume. You know, the scene where um, Picard walks out uh, was, in, in a lot of ways, as defeated as I've ever seen Picard, as resigned mm-hmm. as I've ever seen him. And I I, uh, I thought that was really uh, amazing. And it felt like it felt like what he would do. That, you know, for all that, yes, he was the victim. You, like you said, Fathery, you can't explain that. He can't explain that in the moment to Shaw. Uh, yeah. So he's got to just... Yep. She's got to just let this that is part be of Picard's is. life. Just like this probably happens mm-hmm. to him, you know, two or three times a year. He's like, you know, shows up and triggers someone from from Wolf three five nine. It's like it sucks, but that's why he was lucky to uh, talk to those kids in the in the bar. Uh, they uh, yeah. they weren't that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the Seven of Nine stuff. I, I'm a big Seven of Nine fan. Uh, she's my favorite Voyager character, and I I really like the stuff they gave her to do in this episode. Uh, she's kind of on the. Uh, uh, it's just a cool, like, kind of hodgepodge of, of 90s Star Trek stuff. It's like, here is Riker mm-hmm. ordering Seven to go find a changeling. So it's like TNG, Voyager, <laughs> yeah. DS9. I don't know. It just it's, it felt it felt great to see all that. Go, go get his pot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cannabis in the 25th century. Yep. Like, normalize yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Raffi is, Raffi is doing the best she can. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's got snake leaf. That's a different drug. Right, right. Ballpark, ballpark. Uh, it reminded me of someone saying that, like, like if someone had, like, ten years ago, if someone said, like, this was going to happen in a Star Trek show, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Uh, and it reminded <laughs> oh, yeah. me of someone yeah. saying yeah. about, like, Endgame, if someone had said, like, told you that, like, Spider-Man was going to use, like, uh, Molnir to, like, fly through the air, you'd be like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> like, right, right. Uh, yeah, it's 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 cool that we actually have managed to get to these places sometime. Mm-hmm. And I liked her, you know... Seven got a lot of kind of cool stuff to do in the last few episodes. Uh, the thing where Riker's like, I could reinstate you, but he's like, I'd, I'd rather do a gambit and put you on, you know, Changeling Watch and see what you yeah. see what you can do. And, uh, and then her and good. Shaw. Her and Shaw mm-hmm. in this. Where, yep. I, that was, I really like their was, interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny when he's he's like, don't come. Like, don't <laughs> – when he doesn't want to yeah. talk to her. And then he, he does like the Changeling 101. Because she missed the Dominion War. She was on yeah. Voyager when the, the Dominion right. War happened. She hadn't come to the Alpha Quadrant yet. So Shaw's basically like, look, here's how they work. And then, they, yeah, they have to rest in a pot and all this stuff. So like, what Rachel was saying, if you're the audience that doesn't remember or didn't watch DS9, you know, this mm-hmm. this tells you everything you need to know. Is that uh, a picture of Odo? Yeah. So there's a picture of, of yeah. Odo on, on the Shaw's Starfleet pad. And he's explaining, like, yeah, when they have to uh, regenerate, they, they sleep in a in a bucket or a pot. Uh, it, it was weird to me how similar it, it did look to Odo's bucket, but they are, they are different enough where it's not an exact replica. So yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, it's, they have similar aesthetics again. Yeah, I guess yeah. You know, changelings uh, think that's fashionable. Mm-hmm. Odo is the trendsetter. <laughs> <laughs> when she has the shootout in the um, uh, in the, the corridor in the corridor with the thing, and it's starting to go into the wall. I, I did think that uh, she should should have shot it again while it was trying to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they seemed it seemed to go a little slow. That's very minor, yeah. but it just did. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Like she starts shooting the thing on stun, and then has to like increase the setting, and then you know, eventually kills the changeling. But um, it's like she she did try to like stun it first, so very very Starfleet thing to do. But yeah, changelings are hard to deal with. You just got to shoot on a high setting and, and zap them. That that actor, by the way, who played the the officer uh, or the changeling disguised as, as the officer that fought Seven in the corridor, I thought that actor did a a really cool job just uh playing a a non-human creature that's as scary as hell and, and very mm-hmm. threatening. Yeah. 
So good, good performance. This is a very good physical performance. They didn't have to do uh, much effects in that, just the transformation. But yeah, there wasn't a much, there wasn't much needed in post to make it seem like a, an a- alien monster coming for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking about the conversation when she comes like, can we talk officially? No. Unofficially? No. <laughs> <laughs> just like, no. Just Shaw's got his mode. I feel like yeah. uh, his uh, don't come thing is going to end up in some uh, as an audio clip of BDSM Shaw. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just what occurred to me. Crossed my mind too. <laughs> yep. I'm waiting for somebody with better technical skills than me to uh, well, put that together. That goes along with my seven of nine wake up alarm. <laughs> <laughs> on on that note, let's get off the Titan for a little bit and go over to the Shrike and talk about a uh, Vatic and the uh, the creepiest uh, FaceTime call I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of freaked out by the uh, these new changelings. I think there's an explanation. This isn't just an updated special effect. They weren't just like, we don't like the DS9 effect. Let's make it look kind of like bloody and gross and, and fleshy. Mm-hmm. I think there's actually like, there, there, there's something weird. There has to be a unique. reason for that. Yeah. 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 The, she cuts off her hand and it turns into like a scary face that talks to her. It's like becomes the conduit through which yeah. her mm-hmm. boss uh, interacts with her. That does seem like that could just be a changeling thing to me. Just an un- unrevealed thing, obviously mm-hmm. meant to be creepy, uh, but yeah. it seems like something that they might they might do. Yeah, I think it's something. I think it's something a little different. I think I th- I'm yeah. gonna bet that it's not. I'm gonna put down money that these are they're they're, they're a, fa- a sect of changelings. Yeah, we know they're that they wanted to continue the dominion or whatever. But I don't. I bet there's nothing physically different about them. Okay, I, I think that I think that there's uh, it's changelings teamed up with with other people. I think I think it's gonna turn out to be like there's a lot more to all this than just changelings. I that, think they that, that seems like such an odd up. choice to me. Like you know the, the, the semi solids. The, the final boss <laughs> sure. of Picard is going to be like the the same as the final boss of DS Nine. It just uh, that seems like a. The, it just it feels like Picard's final yeah possibly a tng thing i do think it'll be something else i but but yeah i just um i i don't think that these changelings are in any way physically like supposed to be different or or something Mm -hmm. uh that now that said the face that she was looking at that didn't even quite look like a changeling face right right or what or Mm -hmm. or, because it looked like i don't know like saru or something yeah, it looks like it's kind of like ridges Just or something. A little. Um... It reminds me of like this alien from like Lilo and Stitch, like the Chancellor woman. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, I'm. I would love if the next episode gave us a little bit more info on on the bad guys. I want. I want to learn what Same. else is going on yeah. be- besides uh, rogue changelings. I need. I need to know a little bit more. But uh, it was. Mm-hmm. It was fun to see different shades of Vatic. Seeing her, you know, yeah. panicked and scared and. She had to yeah. abandon her portal system to, you know, go pursue Jack Crusher. So did they just? Did they actually like physically drop it off? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ejected. Does that it. mean that the Titan yeah. could go out there and maybe grab it? <laughs> uh, someone could. I mean, the Titan hauled ass away from here, so probably not them. I don't, but I don't think the Titan knows it's there. Yeah, that's true. No. And and I doubt they're going to be scanning around for it. But like yeah. you know, like I, I guess that the the reason I guess that was, that may have just been the plot point reason for why the. She didn't want to go back in. That's their coolest weapon, and they can't mm-hmm. use it. It's a it's a detriment. But it, it does seem weird that they made it, like I thought they could just power it down. That they physically dropped it off seems a little weird. Well, mm-hmm. I think it was either because someone else will pick it up in a future episode, or there's going to be a battle with the Shrike where they they didn't want the Shrike to have that ability. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering also if the the way the power was doing that kind of that pulsing thing. I wonder if they knew that and like that would have turned on the weapon or done something mm-hmm. when it hit it. Even mm. if it was off, I'm, I'm fine with the explanation because we don't know anything about this yeah. portal tech. So I was fine with the explanation. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you you can't take this machine down there. The gravitational distortions will uh, will not be good for it. 
Uh, but it's it's labeled the Daystrom Institute of Advanced Robotics. Advanced. So we're definitely uh, dealing with uh, with lore soon. I think I think lore lore was the other thing that they broke out of the Daystrom Institute. Yeah. What does that have to do with robotics, though? That's the weird. portal thing? I have no idea. But it's just, apparently that it they, be advanced they, technologies. They store the sense. the portal tech at the robotics institute for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they there might be a little bit of square peg round hole kind of plotting going on there. Mm-hmm. But we'll see if they're if they've got a somewhat yeah. more. Uh, clever way to explain it later <laughs> there's a lot of talk on uh on twitter i guess today because terry metallis was saying something about yeah vadix a changeling but i don't i don't know if he's being serious or if he's joking around uh, i don't know if she's a changeling he also said his favorite track mm-hmm. from the soundtrack on this week's episode is going to be a track called shaw's funeral uh so he's he jokes around a lot on there so yeah i i guess i assumed she was a changeling at that point but i did too but i also because she didn't seem to be in a lot of pain about having done it yeah but why would a changeling have to cut their hand like they just can just like it just falls off extrude it i don't know maybe she's a weirdo she's into it what aaron was saying like maybe maybe the hand is changeling and the rest of her isn't and just like that being attached on her was you know kind of kind of how she was being it could be something like that some sort of bio you know connection or whatever it was fun seeing her spin around in the chair like uh, like Amanda Plummer's father did in Star Trek VI when, he, when Christopher Plummer played. Uh, played yeah, actually, if somebody could just go and overdub that, uh, that's something else I would like somebody to do that and, and her dad and show their connection. <laughs> I appreciate the restraint of not making her quote Shakespeare because that would have been yeah. too little, much. Little much. So, not so yet. <laughs> thank you for not doing that. She does have a, a poetic turn of words sometime, but yes, mm-hmm. yeah, she has it, not done that. There's always like a tinge of like madness to it. Like she's not she's not all there. She's a little cuckoo. Right, yeah. she's a little bit about how they sometimes do uh, Arkham villains in Batman, you know. And Amanda Plummer is really good at she's really good at playing a you know like a little off kilter, like a little little cray cray. She's and, great. And at obviously, it. when she was talking with the guy, she was talking as if it was another person, and she actually yeah. had a different personality at that point. So I don't think she's fully one thing because be unless she does have a split personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe she's different when she cuts off the goo hand, or maybe yeah. maybe she's just like really scared of whoever she's talking to. Um, yeah, she, maybe she didn't even want to do this. Yeah. It's possible that right. Two hand is the one that's all uh, kind of weird and predatory and talks like yeah. that, and uh, she herself yeah. is just kind of a vessel. Yeah, let's get these people mm-hmm. out of the nebula. They they come up with their their escape plan uh, because you know Beverly does the the doctor thing. She's figure, figures out the contractions. And they they uh, all you know hang out around a table and talk it out. And she got a blue jacket, you know, like her lab coat. <laughs> yeah, she's in the lab yeah. coat. Riker is kind of the the holdout, and I love that. Yeah, they're they're giving Doctor Crusher stuff to do, and because mm-hmm. they remember her friendship, her and Deanna Troy's friendship on TNG, their gal pal besties, whatever, uh, for seven mm-hmm. years because they were the only two women in the in the regular cast. But uh, when she reminds Riker, like, you know, Troy would, would, would want us to do this because, uh, you know, this would be about trust and just, you know, how Riker has become so risk adverse that like he he would rather just go ahead and admit defeat and take the chance of like, well, maybe I can like leave a voicemail for my wife, uh, you, you know, if we just give up now, like he, he like he's he's willing to, to give up for such a, a, a little uh, prize as that. I do like and I do kind of like understand that, like that sentiment. Mm-hmm. It's like the. Here's a thing. Most of the thing they ask you to do on airplanes when you're crashing is not going to save you. It's to, like, preserve, like, you so your, like, family can, like, identify oh. you and, like... Oh, that is? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the fact. That's why they ask you to, like, bend down if you were ever oh. to crash. It will save your teeth and dental records are how bodies are identified. That's Good a bit times. of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I literally cried, uh, like, the like 
at him, uh, like just trying to like leave something for Deanna. Yeah. Well, he, they they left on bad terms. They they parted mm-hmm. on bad terms. So he wa- he wanted to try to fix it. He wanted to, he wanted you know to yeah. give her some some closure, some solace. But but I really it felt real. Mm-hmm. But the the beauty of this is, you know, the the last couple of episodes, or I guess the last episode specifically, there's that that conflict between Picard and Riker where they had like a disagreement when Picard was like, "We have to, you know, we have to fight," and Riker's on the on the side like, "No, we have we have to take flight. It's uh, we we have to run." And when they're all, you know, sitting around the table talking to each other and and working together, it's like, oh, they actually end up, you know, combining both ideas. It's like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna run away, but we're gonna punch the bad guy in the face on our way out the door, and, and that's how we're gonna make our run for it. So it's more of what Picard was telling those young officers in the opening when it's like, you know, when when you have your your crew around you and you're dedicated to one another and you work together, then then nothing can stop you. And it's just like when he's telling like that story about yeah you know, the the Herogen Alpha that hunted him, and, he, and it's like it was because of, he was working with Commander Worf, and that's how he defeated him. Or the you know, the story he tells Jack about Jack the First and how they survived in that shuttle by by working together in unison. So you have like this whole message of you know of family and camaraderie that's really cool. And I also like it's like Picard comes up with the plan to run away, and then Riker ends up coming up with the plan to like fight. Yes, like them. They- yeah, that's a the beautiful way of, of framing yeah. it. Yeah, it's like uh, but because yeah. they were working together, like they each had mm-hmm. the answer for the other one's plan, and and that's yeah. what that's what provided the solution. Their biggest problem before was it was that they were kind of so set in their ways that they didn't allow themselves to sort of synergize. Now, mm-hmm. to, to be fair, they also didn't have a lot of time. They were just getting hammered by the sure. strike yeah, and all that. No, but, none of these people had any idea, you know, 48 hours earlier that this would be going on. So they're all just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Right. True. I wonder when uh, when all is said and done what the uh, death toll on the Titan will be for Shaw to have to uh, deal with. We'll see. I don't know, but I'm I'm sure he's done everything you know possible to to keep it as as low as he can. Mm-hmm. That seems to be his uh, the reason for his kind of yep. neurotic uh, uh, n- neuroses and his um, right. a bit of standoffishness. He's a bit like where where Riker was as far as the uh, avoidance of of danger, but taken to kind of uh, a bittered extremes. But he does get to, obviously they give him an outlet here. Um, they give him some grease monkey stuff to do. So the, yeah. the yeah. Blazin Bev's drug cocktail uh, conveniently wears off when they need him to go do some engineering stuff. And some people were well, confused they about this. something like, to reverse it. I heard someone say it's dumb that like on this entire ship, there's no one who knows how to work with these 20 year old nacelle casings. What they actually say is the entire engineering team is busy. All the engineers are busy and outside of the yeah. engineering department, no one knows how to do that other than him because it's old technology that yeah. people aren't used to. Right. I think within Star Trek's parameters, that is a perfectly reasonable explanation. It is, yeah, but some people some some people don't pay attention when they watch. All they then... heard was, yeah, like, oh, they don't have somebody else who <laughs> yeah. can do this. Yeah, um, though it's like the ship is falling apart. The engineers are busy. <laughs> it's like every like, every episode. Not only does uh, Jack Crusher have some Britishism to remind you that he's British. Like this week, it was uh, you Bob's, Bob's your, uncle, your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, not only do they do that, but also uh, Crash LaForge has to remind everyone that her dad is Jordy. So in this episode, it's the changeling who does it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, it's very like she's, Cindy McCain. She seems to bring up her dad a lot. Yeah. Like if anyone ever watches yeah. The View, there's like these uh, there's like these super cuts on YouTube. They're just like Cindy McCain talking about her dad, John McCain. Just like, my father, oh. my father, my father, my father. Like, Isn't Cindy McCain his wife? <laughs> or uh, what's the daughter's name? That's what I'm trying. Now I'm trying uh, to remember. Uh, I don't know, whoever. No, I'm Didn't he seem to like want to not be yeah, associated? Right. She wants yeah. to be her own person, 
not, mm-hmm. you know, just the da- daughter of Jordi LaForge, yeah. but she brings it up enough that you're like, you can't forget it. <laughs> Her sister is the one that's closer to him and more similar to him. And she's the one that's a little different. I feel like it's largely, you know, like a, a, maybe a slight over overdoing of, uh, uh, of the show, the, the show's writers wanting to remind us who she is until she gets probably, hopefully, a bigger scene later on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, until now, they're just yeah. like, oh, yeah, we just need to, re- to remind you uh, she was the person in the previously on scene who respected Seven. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love the scene. I love how it was set up because I, I didn't suspect anything from the pre- like the scene last episode of her calling like her Commander Seven was like setting up something for this episode. It just mm. felt really genuine. And so when it came up, it like just felt like so natural. Yeah, that's that's a perfect setup st- uh, and 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 payoff kind of uh, a move right there. Yeah, yeah and because this happens in front of Shaw, it sets up what will inevitably happen later in the season when he mm-hmm. starts referring to her as Seven. <laughs> in the live audience, we have a super chat from Snoopy McQueen. Thank you so much, Snoopy. He says Picard season three episode four, awesome. The young crew of Titan see why Picard, Riker, Seven, Crusher are legends. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I think you know if this is the show that they're setting up, if it's going to be like a Titan show with you know like Captain Seven of Nine and maybe her girlfriend Raffi is the first officer and Crash LaForge and. Uh, these other, these other people. I would, I would love to see Jack Crusher as like a doctor, as like he could, like what, what a unique Star Trek doctor. If you have that guy as like mm-hmm. your chief medical officer on your ship, you know, be uh, it would be <laughs> neat. These these characters are, uh, they they are starting to um, uh, develop a presence, and I'm starting to, uh, you know, look look forward to them in the same way that I look forward to seeing the uh, the familiar faces. I love that Shaw's example of how a changeling would uh, get uh, get uh, <laughs> characterization wrong was to compliment Seven and <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then no, there was I, a, I misjudged you. And- yeah, you're going to be a great captain one day. And he's like, she's like, that's how it'd be when the, if it was a changeling. Got it. The, <laughs> not a dick. The the Jack Crusher and uh, John Luke Picard working together stuff, like just like how the original Jack, I guess, worked with Picard to yeah. uh, mm-hmm. drive that that shuttle with just the the docking thrusters only. Uh, but just seeing that uh, synchronicity between them and and, and that that bonding earlier in the bar pay off here. And I also love that it's not just like Picard just barking orders and then Jack obeys. It's kind of a back and forth. Jack does spring mm-hmm. into action yeah. when, when Picard's asking him to do stuff. But then when he gives advice, like, no, just trust me, four more seconds and stuff like that, Picard, without hesitation, you know, goes along with it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was great to see them kind of treating each other as, uh, you know, that, that level of mutual respect. Yeah. No, they're treating each other like equals, which mm-hmm. is... Nice to see. Especially later, you know, when we learn why, uh, you know, Jack had his reluctance to ever meeting the guy to begin with. And it's like, oh, man, like you really, you know, you feel sorry for him and understand his point of view as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I loved about that sequence is that it, it's both kind of really heartbreaking and bitter to see Jack when the one time he tried to reach out to Picard. Picard was like, oh, the only family I need is Starfleet. Really kind of brutal. And yet they're juxtaposing it with a scene of the time of the present where essentially Jack, in addition to kind of getting some father son interaction is also part of that Starfleet family. Mm -hmm. He is, he can see what Picard saw in that moment. I think judging him by that moment though, it's like he didn't know that was his son. I mean, there's like, if you don't give the person an opportunity to like become that person, part of your family, then you you can't complain that they, yeah. Right, it's kind of an unfair moment, but I can see how a young Jack might have done it. He's 15 years old. He asked this I dude, like... 15, 16 here. Like, yeah, if, like... Did, sure. Did, no. You know, he, he thinks, like, I'm about to, like, introduce 
myself to my dad, meet my dad for the mm-hmm. first time, and and you know, I'm gonna, and he asked him like, you know, did did you ever you know want to have like your own family or anything? And then and you know, he he's Picard thinks it's just like some rando in the bar, like uh, yeah. yeah, he says like you know the very like crowd pleasing. You know, he read the room. He said what these Starfleet officers yeah. would want to hear, and he's like, ah, oh, Starfleet's the only. That's what I would do if if we were on like a live stream and some 15 year old was like like, hey father, did you ever want a family of your own? I'd probably be like, the Star Trek fandom is all the family I need, and then you know people would applaud and then my my little bastard son would run away and you'd crying. see like so and so has left the chat yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly like Descartes doesn't know this is some is she supposed to uh i'm like i'll go to this random dude who's like well my family's all dead i'm the last one like <laughs> yeah this is all i have left it's kind of i think i feel like the writers are doing something with in this uh season that i really like uh, which is uh, also in that that moment where uh, Rafi's uh, ex-husband was like, choose between, you know, knowing where your son is or getting some information from me. And that was not a fair thing either. But I can understand how the guy who went through the troubled times with her said that. Uh, and I, I yeah. like I like sometimes when people are shown to have those sort of frailties. No. I, I, I totally think that makes absolute sense that, that her yeah. ex would say that. Like, no, like you, you go on these weird Alex Jones conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. wild goose chases all the time. I'm I. I if you're going to have a relationship with our son, you have to give that up. Prove me right now you can give that up. Like He, did, he didn't know that she was actually, like, you know, chasing yeah. down a, a legitimate threat. Like, he's like, no, like, they caught the guy who destroyed the building. I saw it on the news. Like, this is... I, like, I do get where he was coming from, but part of me was still, like, I don't love the thing of him basically being, like, you have to choose between, like, having a career and being a mother. Mm, yeah, yeah. Which is... Yeah. I might have issues with that. Um... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. Honestly, he's a character I'd like to see recur at some yeah. point if they if they find ways. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the same way that uh, it was cool to see throughout Deep Space Nine, um, Cisco's dad showing mm-hmm. up. Uh, her ex would be an interesting person to for her to have maybe patched things up, but mm-hmm. still have sort of some sort of awkward moments. Well, there's only yeah. six more episodes of the show, so I don't know how much more he's gonna recur. But maybe maybe right. in a, no, in a future Trek show. Yeah, some future yeah. thing. Oh, I was going to ask, do we think at that moment where we see that, do you think Picard was realizing that he had met Jack before? Yes, yeah, I think he he was piecing okay. it together. He's like, remember that yeah. weird dude who, like, ran away when I told him I never wanted my own family? Like, holy shit, is this real? is this, the, fuck, yeah, th- this is him, the way it was, wow. The way, it, the way it was filmed was, I, I had the same question, mm-hmm. Rachel, but yeah, the way it was filmed was such that it did seem like he made the connection. Yeah. I like or I th- I thought did. that's how I read it, but I was also like I'm not sure I read it right. Mm-hmm. And even earlier, yeah. he asked Jack like, "Have you ever been here? Have you ever been to Guinan's Ten Forward Bar?" And and Jack's like, "No." Like the second time you watch the episode, that you know plays different. Oh yeah, and he definitely because the way he's like, "Oh, you've heard the story before." Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it a second yeah. time and seeing where Jack is kind of covering up and sometimes diverting the story because he doesn't want to talk about some of that stuff. And, yeah. and as a ball cap dude, I'm pleased to see that uh, the ball caps survived to the 25th century. We'd seen them on the 23rd. We'd seen them on the 24th. They're still around on the 25th. Discovery, give me one in the 32nd, if you can. You only got one season left to do it, so you better make it count. I love that baseball's hardly around. But the caps, the caps <laughs> the are caps common. <laughs> so what do we think of going forward, like projecting, is Picard going to have a... a you know, a relationship with his son and still be with Laris? Or are we somehow going to get I... Picard? Like, it feels like they're an adult. Like, they could not, they don't have to get together to everybody still be happy. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I, I would love would if they like. showed, this is something I talked about. I, I don't remember, I feel like in some older episode of uh, discussion of Picard, the idea that you could have some 
what and what our present would be non-conventional families, but like mm-hmm. they're increasingly there are people there are those kind of accommodations. And right. I would love it mm-hmm. if they could pull off something like that. We have a uh, super chat in the live audience from Chris Collins. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. He's saying, "Are the changelings from TNG episode Aquiel Undiscovered Country Mardia the same as DS9 changelings?" No, I think they're, they're those are all different. I think Mar. Uh, mm-hmm. Mardia and uh, Aquiel Alien and then the uh, the Gamma Quadrant uh, Dominion Changelings. I think they're I think they're just all different stripes of uh, of shape shifters. Aquiel is more like the Vendorians. <laughs> it seemed more like of a biological kind of yeah. thing. It's the I, kind of thing that, like, in the books, I could imagine them saying, oh, they could be an offshoot from some distant time, the same way they would mm-hmm. sometimes tie together, like, Trelane and Q and some of the, you know, other godlike aliens. Yeah. I, think, and I think it's unnecessary, though. I think I think shape-changing creatures can evolve on different worlds. Yeah. If I remember correctly, the Aquiel one is, like, not... Like kind of not sentient, right? right. Like it's yeah. basically acting on instinct, yeah. right. which is why it was like yeah, was true. hidden as a dog, it turned into a dog. Yeah, it just mimics things. It doesn't like mm-hmm. really think. It doesn't actually know what it's doing. Uh, Rezagu in the uh, live audience were Jill forty seven. Yeah, saying uh, also the the dolphin was a changeling. Yeah, back in a uh, season two oh, yeah. when uh, Wesley Crusher uh, kissed a girl who could turn into like weird space monsters and stuff. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. No, she didn't. The, her nursemaid did, wasn't it? Or was it also? They her? both did. Yeah, they're both they're both, they both uh, okay. shape changing. Also, the uh, I guess the the ending. We also have mm-hmm. uh, s- space squid babies. We have. Uh, Riker. So this is a different creature than that's in Encounter at Farpoint, yes. right? And okay. Yes. And thank God it is, because I if they I look I love yeah that, I love the notion of because they saved the jellyfish in Encounter at Farpoint now like the birth of the jellyfish offspring saves them. I really mm-hmm. like that idea on paper that you know like your good deeds will come back to reward you. That's why I, I loved Hugh uh, helping Picard in season one. I, I thought that was great mm-hmm. to you know bring bring Hugh back to uh to help him out. It's like oh yeah because you were good to Hugh in the past now he's good to you here. But it just, that would have just been a bit too much. That would have been too sure. huge of a coincidence. Yeah, it would work in a book I think better than the live action. That feels like a literary sort of thing. The thematics I work agree. though. Like the fact that they made it something mm-hmm. very similar. It's okay. Instead of a space jellyfish, yeah. it's a space squid. Instead well, of they having... referenced Farpoint, you know, just yeah. as a quick touchstone for longtime viewers and, you know, an acknowledgement that, yeah, it's not weird for there to be organic creatures in space. I was kind of hoping it would be the creatures from Lower Decks where they had them in that first episode where they had the skin mm-hmm. off of the Cerritos and they stole it and they were birthing these yeah. babies or whatever. It would have been interesting. They're the same thing. It bookends the TNG adventures. Okay, Encounter at Farpoint, we started with the uh, the space jellyfish and then Picard season mm-hmm. three, we're ending with the uh, the space squids. But in, in a way that it's like, this isn't really the end though. This is a birth of an even, another generation, a next, next generation, uh, mm-hmm. which is what I want this show to be. I want it to kind of like end the, the saga of like the TNG crew, but also set the stage for what's next. And mm-hmm. thematically, that all seems to be what we're moving towards, especially after seeing this episode. I like to like uh, notice uh, possible callbacks to Star Trek too, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this this has something in common with the uh, the way the Genesis cave and and later some of the oh. events of it um, make Kirk feel and help rejuvenate his 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 sort of will. Uh, the same way. Uh, um, will gets Riker. rejuvenated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will's will uh, is also uh, in this one. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, uh, th- th- this was the I feel young sort of moment. Yeah. I, I actually really like yeah. how he put it to Deanna where he said, I don't know if I have the words for it yet. That was a really neat way to, to mm-hmm. for him to yeah. say it. Because, you know, Riker does seem like a guy who's not like – he's a uh, – not a romantic in the traditional sense. Um, yeah. And uh, 
So, so he, and, and, and not necessarily a guy who's probably always hyper open about his feelings. So yeah, he had to, he's like, I can say it, but I'm not, it's a little tough to get Is, my head around. I don't know. He seems I he's think not as open as Deanna. Let's let's put it that way. Okay. He's yeah, not he, a romantic in this like the romantic is a literary like music. Sure. Yeah, I don't mean to say that he say. represses his feelings. Right. Uh he's actually I think a, a person who's pretty honest, but like we were talking about earlier, he's not I necessarily think, like a wordsmith. Right. And I and I think he, he does he, have a he certain He came up with bravado. some poetry on the spot to, when he was trying to impress Guinan. You know, shut up, kid. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh, I love the moment of when Crusher starts saying the uh, the speech, but I did have a moment of fear they were gonna like go line by line. And I was like, please don't do that. And so when Riker ends up saying, "Let's boldly get the hell out of yeah, here," I was like, "Okay, yeah, here. I'm real into yeah. that, and I need a t-shirt." But it does it does kind of <laughs> it, it's a bit on the nose, but yeah, to seek out new life. Yeah, mm. and to be fair, like that spe- that has been established in universe as a speech okay. that someone might quote. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like on board, but I was like, if they start doing it line by line. I, like, might be a little much. Everybody gets yeah. a line, and then... yeah, that's, that was what, that was my fear. What if Shaw had like said one of the lines? Yeah. Oh, that would have yeah, been exactly. so cringe, so cringe. <laughs> They're all changelings. Ah! <laughs> the end of Star Trek Beyond, right? They all say a, a line from the thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, but it's not like you don't see that happen, right? It's just like yeah, you just that's hear more it. of a narrative thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's not that's weird. different. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Jack. The last last. Uh, very, very last scene of him uh, having like these weird nightmares of the scary door and those red branches. I call it the scary door, like on Futurama, their Twilight Zone. I did, show, I called door. it the same thing. That's uh, funny. Aaron, you were uh, talking to me earlier about like that. Uh, you kind of see like a city being destroyed with that, that hellish mm-hmm. red sky. Yeah. Uh, like maybe that's this is Romulus being blown away in the Nova. We don't, we don't know what any of this is. little bits and pieces but... of the architecture that kind of match that big painting of the. The central the city or capital. whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's not exactly the same, but bits and pieces, but I could also just be seeing that because I'm looking for it. Yeah. There's a voice that says, find me at the end. So I don't know. It's like, is yeah. Jack going to be like under the control of something else? Is, is it going to pit Jack against Picard? Or are we going to see father versus son because son gets possessed by something? But I sort of hope that it doesn't go go to that. It's That's not sort of, it doesn't sound satisfying to me. I guess yeah. we'll, we'll see if they could do something with it, but I, I kind of hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> Uh, what Aaron is saying about like seeing or in my case hearing something, but you're like, I feel like I might just be like, my brain could just be playing tricks on me because I'm looking for something. The voice kind of sounded like Denise Crosby to me. I don't think oh. it's going to be Tasha Yar has like uh, <laughs> is implanted something in Jack Crusher's brain and is trying to. I don't think it was, to the record, my thought was not Tasha Yar. It was. <laughs> oh, OK. That that would make much <laughs> more sense. Because one, I I think at this point it'd be like hard to be like, yeah, Tasha's alive. Obviously, it's the Red Angel. I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> deep deep no. cut connection to discovery. Yeah. Uh, but then with you being like, it looks like Romulus. I was like, oh, it could still be Sila then. Yeah. I mean, there are some kind of there. There's a lot of Romulan imagery around uh, mm-hmm. Vatic. Well, the you know, Shrike the, feels very the bird yeah. theme. Yeah, it kind of even yep. it's it's kind of similar to the Narada. And Picard's been connected to Romulans for the since the start of the right. series. Like yeah. easily connected. I'm I'm and I, I'm also like thinking it might be Borg related because you know the the Borg are kind of like the biggest. It, w- it would make more sense for like Picard's final adventure to be against the Borg instead of the Founders. I think that would that would make like could a Borg merge with a changeling? not after what they did with the Borg. They they kind I don't, of like if season two hadn't happened, I would agree. Yeah, well, no, the, I think, the bad Borg think... are still out there. Like Shaw even says that in this episode. Yeah. So 
I hope it's I hope it's not that. Mm. For some reason, I feel like they've developed the Borg enough that I I don't want to I don't want to call do a callback to them as big bad. I don't really have like a strong opinion yeah. on any of these things. If they're like things I want or don't want, I'm just kind of yeah. spitballing. But uh, I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm re- I'm ready to learn more, which is what what the show needs yeah. to. Th- do we know, know what that weird sort of plant like fibrous tissue thing that he sees in the images? Do we have any Mm-mm. notions about I, I that? No, I mean I I'm very confident it's not this, but the closest thing I can think of is, is it kind of looks like some of the mycelial network stuff from season two of Discovery. But I I, I, oh. I would be. It is yeah. the Red Angel. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it could be because Sorry, she did travel to... through time. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean to scare anybody. Um. On that note, let's uh, move on to the uh, Gorn Eggs. If you're uh, unfamiliar with Text Trek, this is how we like to uh, to end by uh, going over all the Easter eggs, in jokes, and continuity connections I thought were worth sharing, uh, or the the Gorn Eggs, as, as we like to call them. Uh, starting off the very very beginning, I think it was actually the opening shot was my favorite class of Starfleet starship, the beautiful Ambassador class, proudly displayed. In ten forward, uh, which uh, some people may or may not know is not only the class of ship for the Enterprise C that Rachel Garrett commanded, uh, but that's also the uh, the class of ship of the uh, Starship Texas that our our show is broadcast from. As upon which we are uh, sitting right now in our various ready rooms. Yeah, and in our uh, our imaginary um, starship for our I show. I do find it interesting how much stuff from yesterday's Enterprise is coming up this season. <laughs> yeah, we have the Rachel Garrett statue. Yeah, have... that I'm like, with me feeling like that was Denise Crosby's voice, yeah. and I was like, am I imagining things? Or... It's not the craziest idea. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was also trying to think of what woman is like relevant to the TNG people that is not Deanna Troy or, or Beverly Crusher. I don't... Okay. I'll tell y'all after the show uh, something about Denise Crosby's involvement. In, uh... Does it have something to do okay. with that? Uh, what's, what's the thing that killed Yar? Armus. Armus. Armus was kind of a big pile <laughs> of, of mobile tar that changed shape a little too, didn't what it? Do, what do they call them in Lower Decks? Uh, a, a big pile of shit? Oh. Isn't that what Tindy called them? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Uh, but not wrong. it was it was funny. I was on the uh, the Star Trek cruise last week, and on the last night, uh, Tawny Newsom was uh, dancing in the 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 club on the up on the top of the ship at deck 14 and kept uh taunting denise crosby who was drinking at the bar tawny newsom was getting on the microphone saying denise get out here on the dance floor i'm gonna feed your ass to armus <laughs> and denise finally did leave the bar and and joined her on the and dance just floor, left. But... <laughs> yeah, just left next up uh that uh that first picard story he told the uh, young officers was about the erosion but they're a uh, star trek voyager species and they even like acknowledge like what were they doing in the alpha quadrant and stuff like how did they get over here and did you ask admiral janeway for help or anything but yeah the erosion originally introduced in star trek voyager season four episode message in a bottle i know it's not the point of the episode but i was like um i want that story <laughs> uh, idw <laughs> give us that comic I also want a Jack, a young Jack Crusher, Dad Cru- Jack Crusher, and Picard series too. Mm. In Ensign Foster's quarters, uh, Seven of Nine is uh, snooping around and comes across a, a Calto game setup. I, don't, I wouldn't call it a board. I don't know what you'd call it, but like Calto Sphere, maybe. But yeah, it's the Vulcan mm-hmm. logic game that Tuvok liked to play and taught Harry Kim on Voyager. It's another Voyager reference. Also looked like he had a, a, an Alexa that was having problems connecting. Like <laughs> this red round disc with a red light on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that. it's not what it is, but it right. just reminded me of that. Sorry. Speaking of Voyager, when they go to the holodeck, they they do kind of explain a bit more about like that whole Voyager holodeck system. I guess like the advantages of having it on a different grid. I still think that would 
probably not be the greatest use of power, but I just accept that that was just a, a technical uh, requirement. Uh, but it, it was it was neat when like they walk in, they're kind of like the TNG holodeck grid on the mm-hmm. on the wall, and you get like that classic door sound effect. So yeah, and more more cool little appropriate nostalgia moments like seeing seeing Renea Barjanois's face on screen for the first time since Prodigy. Prodigy brought him back on screen, and now Picard brought him back mm-hmm. on screen. So his legacy lives on. When Seven goes to get Odo's bucket, or not Odo, but the this new changeling's bucket. She finds it behind that that lit up panel. Uh, that made me think of Conscience of the King in the original series when Kirk is looking for the phaser set to overload. Uh, yeah. And it's in the, oh, the, yeah. The red alert. That looks like it's a filter for something. <laughs> the knife that Vadic uses to cut off her hand, I was talking about like the the Romulan connections. That's actually uh, Shinzon's uh, Romulan or Riemann knife. Uh, Nerissa also had a knife like this in season one of Picard. So it could just be a coincidence, you know, some people might just in the Star Trek universe might just be running around with a Romulan knives, but you know, maybe it means something more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That uh, planet where P- Picard and Jack Crusher the first were going to uh, hook up with uh, some some eager young women. Uh, that was Argalius 4. I'm so glad that they used that planet instead of Ryza because Ryza gets mentioned all the time. Everyone forgot about Argalius 4. That was the other uh, hedonistic planet from the original series where uh, Scotty got possessed by something and killed a sex worker i guess and uh it's kind of a it's a very well done episode it's kind of terrible like i really enjoy watching it but it's kind of it's actually just very 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 terrible and that it's like oh scotty is mad at women because a woman messed up in engineering one time and so kurt takes him to this pleasure planet so he can get laid but then he finds scotty you know standing over like the dead body of this woman and then kirk's immediately like oh no this guy's my bro there's no way he did this i know it looks bad it's like yeah, there's a lot of uh, problematic stuff in that episode but it's sort of like if you can put yourself in the mindset of a, a sexist '60s person, though it's a solid thriller. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a very thrilling yeah. and watchable episode with a lot of fun horror vibes, and I always enjoy watching it. But it's just like, yeah, this uh, this uh, does not fly today at just all. Just have to find that inner sexist. We have the reference to to Darmok, talking about the uh, mm-hmm. Tamarian language, one of the more famous TNG apps. And of course, uh, Shaw's callback to Wolf 359, the ship he served on, the USS Constance, can actually be seen in the Picard end credits on one of those beautiful Elkar displays. But yeah, the the Constance, it was a, it was a Constellation class like the original Stargazer. I was, it's always interesting to me how much Wolf 359 comes up and like the fact they were not able to show it on the actual show. <laughs> yeah, I guess we got first contact. Yeah, first contact. I mean, you, you also we, see part of it. We see a lot of it in DS9. In DS9, yeah. And then the the last thing I'm gonna mention is the uh, the birth of the space squid babies, and you know strong parallels with the very very original next generation story encounter at Farpoint, which ended with the reunion of two space jellyfish that are in love with each other. And Dave made the joke when we discussed this episode long ago of what if when these these two space jellyfish reunite and, you know, they kind of like hold hands with their tentacles. He was saying like, what if you start seeing like more and more tentacles start like interacting and then twining and these things getting closer and then thrusting into each other. <laughs> this is like the Enterprise just awkwardly being like, okay, we, we should leave them alone. Let's let's go to war. Let's get out of here. Engage, Wesley, engage. Wesley would be like, mom, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Why do I feel like that's going to happen on Lower Decks now? <laughs> it seems very, <laughs> very up their alley. Mike, Mike McMahon, the uh, is he going to be called like a dipshit from Chicago in the Star Trek fandom from now on? Because mm-hmm. he's he's from Chicago, so I think that's his inevitable fate at this point. Um, he, he was on, of course, uh, uh, what do you call it? The 
the ready room. Uh, uh, Todd. St- Todd Stash. Not it? Mike McMahon, but Todd Stashwick, who's also yes, Todd- a, a real life dipshit from oh, Chicago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he's he has he has a lot of fun with that. It's good. He's he's, he's really into Trekkies. He's kind of a big nerd himself, um, mm-hmm. and so it's a uh, worth it's watching like that episode. Of, like, nerd tattoos and stuff too. Yeah. I bet him and Will Wheaton had fun talking to each other because they're like around the same age. So I bet they have like a lot of like pop cultural overlap. These two yeah. guys in their early fifties who are like nerds in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. But that's all I got for Gorn Eggs. Uh, we would love to hear what people think about this episode, though. We told you what we think. Uh, we received some subspace transmissions from last week's episode, uh, seventeen seconds. So uh, Dave, you got about a uh, three minutes if you want to read some uh, some subspace transmissions. Sure. Let's hit a few of these. This this was in response to the episode that among the biggest things revealed had the big conversation with uh, Beverly and 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 Picard about their about their son. Uh, so let's see. First up, Jeremiah says, "Brilliant edge of your seat Star Trek. You cannot beat an episode directed by the master Jonathan Frakes." Uh, Jeremy Mancuso says, "Absolutely fantastic. Worf kicking, still kicking ass and taking names." Um, uh, Melissa says, in my opinion, scene in sickbay between Picard and Crusher was the best they've ever had together in seven seasons and four movies. Treebeard Nerd says, I like the symbolism between being a captain and being a father. Uh, Picard is acting reckless and Riker careful. I wonder if Shaw acting very careful is also connecting uh, to him losing a child, which we know was not exactly the case, but that <laughs> was in, the, in that ballpark. It was connected um, to him losing a... 40 Jack Crushers. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Joanne Robertson, uh, however, said she's, I said, I am on Lonely Island with this episode, as I thought it was just okay. The discussions that Picard and Crusher uh, had was wild, and while I understand Crusher's reasons, I think her decision to not tell Picard about Jack was wrong. I absolutely enjoyed uh, Worf and Raffi, however. And um, Tracy also says, uh, I'm probably in the minority, but I felt it was just okay. I like the first two better. I like the pairing of Seven and Jack. They seem to work well together, even though it was only briefly. Also, I didn't realize how much I would enjoy Raffi and Worf teaming up. That was my favorite part. To see Judy Johnson felt a little depressed by the episode and said the Titan scenes were tough to watch. And WTF was Picard thinking with that attack nonsense. Then Irium, however, says, I practically turned into goo while watching it and has three uh, mind blown uh, emojis. Um, <laughs> Steven is really near, says the Raffi Wharf dynamic is all I want in a Star Trek intelligence show. There, pair these two with Michelle Yeoh, Prince's time travel, and uh, Alexander Siddig, and I'm in for a Section 31 oh, yeah. series with stakes, humor, and heroes who kick ass. That'd be neat. That'd be neat. Um, that would uh, be. And that's uh, that's all I got for subspace transmissions this week. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for that. If anyone out there has thoughts on this episode, you can leave a comment on YouTube. You can reply to my tweets on Twitter. You can. Sound off on the Text Trek Facebook page or uh, join the Text Trek Discord server and talk about it with us there. Links to all of that in the description wherever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, we'll be back next week, usual time, 7 p.m. Central Friday night. Again, we're, we're changing from standard time to daylight savings time. Uh, so keep that in mind. And you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.